Hello and welcome to Urban Flag, the podcast on how cities are developing local solutions to transnational challenges. I am Lorenzo Kilgangrandi and hosting this episode with me today, Martina Rogato, Sustainability Advisor and Head of the Italian Delegation to Women20. Hello Martina, thank you very much for your participation. Hello Lorenzo, thank you so much for the invitation. Today we will continue our discussion on gender equality in cities at the times of the pandemic. To help us understand the current challenges, the opportunities, and even try to imagine the future, we have today the pleasure of welcoming Ms. Jacqueline Ebanks, Executive Director of the Commission on Gender Equity of the City of New York. Ms. Ebanks, welcome. Thank you so much for your invitation. It is a pleasure to be here, Lorenzo and Martina. Thank you very much. So let me start by quickly introducing you. Uh, you have been appointed uh, in August 2017 by Mayor Bill de Blasio as Executive Director of the New York City Commission on Gender Equity. Uh, the commission works across uh, city agencies to break down institutional barriers to equity for all New Yorkers, regardless of gender identity, gender expression, or background. And you have more than 30 years of experience in promoting economic social justice for women, girls, and marginalized communities. Uh, prior to serving uh, at the CGE, you have uh, had executive positions um, at the Women's City Club of New York, at Citigroup, at the United Way of New York City, and you have also served as a child welfare policy analyst at the Federation of the Protestant Welfare Agency, as director of United Neighborhood Houses Staff Development and Human Resource Management Initiative, as director of the Program Development and Quality Assurance at the Society for Siemens Children, and as director for development at the Harlem United Community Aid Center. Yes, and that is a brief snapshot of just about all the jobs I held over 30 years while in New York City. I do want to add that I had the pleasure of serving as Vice President of Programs for the New York Women's Foundation, and in that capacity was a grant maker uh, to several community-based nonprofits generating solutions driven by women, authored by women, Um, and improving conditions in, in their communities for women and families. So it's been an honor to serve New York City in this way over the past three decades. Oh, thank you very much. I am great. We have the chance to discuss with you because I'm sure you are well aware of both those challenges and all the opportunities that can arise, not only in New York City, but also uh, providing examples and uh, hints to other cities. Sure, sure. And... Um, You know, I, I think I'm glad we're framing this discussion within the pandemic, of course. I, I think it clearly makes sense. And um, for, for us in New York City, as the largest city in the United States, we take it extremely seriously to offer an opportunity or insights into transformational ways of driving equity, of creating fairness. And in fact, our mayor, Bill de Blasio, has talked about fairness and us being, New York City becoming the fairest big city. So what has been central to us is the value of equity in all its forms. And so our goal has, how do we work with an equity lens? Our goal has been to work with an equity lens. Our goal has been to ensure that our staff is, our workforce is managed with an equity lens and that we develop and implement equitable policies and practices. In addition to the equity lens, we also talk about intersectionality. 
that this it is important that our governance looks at the intersections of identities, if you will, that we think about not just women, but women as and not just gender, but gender as it intersects with race, socioeconomic status, uh, sexual orientation, faith, immigrant status, that governance is about uh, leadership for all peoples, right? And with all identities that we bring to the table. And so it's a real honor for me to work in an administration that centers fairness and equity. It gives us tremendous opportunities to lift the veil uh, around marginalization and to be innovative in driving change for the most vulnerable populations. Thank you very much. I think there is a, a really a, a potential and a visibility of New York City as an example to other cities in that purpose. But before focusing on the broader extent of your job, I would like to uh, propose Martina ask you the first question, which is more related to uh, what is happening in the city of New York. Absolutely, Renzo. I was wondering, and I'd like to ask to Mitzi Banks, what is the impact of the ongoing coronavirus crisis on gender equality and on sustainable development in New York City? Yes, Martina, as you point out, it's an ongoing um, crisis. And so I, I wanted not so much talk about impacts, but talk about the lessons that I believe we're learning through this process. I think the discussion of impacts may be later down the road and are emerging as we speak. I think the lesson that we have learned first is that existing inequities are highlighted during this crisis. And I think that is true for any crisis. But the global nature of this crisis means that you're seeing vulnerabilities around gender inequity, you're seeing the vulnerabilities of health inequities and uh, social and economic inequities. So we have racial disparities, we have gender disparities, and clearly, as we talk about intersectional lenses, those intersect heavily with uh, health disparities. And um, you know, you see our mayor collecting data at the intersection of race and gender and health, and also in terms of geographic disparities. The low-income neighborhoods are, are disproportionately affected. So that, I think, is one lesson learned. Existing inequities are highlighted through this pandemic, and I think, um, as indeed all crises tend to do. The other thing is that the, the importance of um, lower-income workers if I may use that term, to the sustainability. If, if you look at the essential worker ranks, our grocery stores that have to remain open, these are not the higher paid individuals that we depend on um, to, to keep our food supply moving and to keep us fed during this pandemic. We have to think about the not only the doctors and the nurses and the, who are, are doing a tremendous job during this pandemic, but we need the custodial staff in our hospitals as well to keep working in order to help us to move through this, this uh, pandemic. And so the essential workers, I think about our, our transit workers, and I think about um, you know, the sanitation crew, the economy is still running, maybe not at the hum that it, it does, or our society is still running, but not, not at the hum it usually does, 
but there are key elements that we need in place in order for us to maintain our health. And that very often depends on lower income workers. The third thing to me that's very clear in this pandemic is the importance and centrality of governments, right? The solutions that we drive is about our government. It's about our government being able to provide a stimulus. It's about our government to have a coordinated plan and a thought out plan. It's about city leadership. It's about our state leadership. And, you know, I will always say this, I am so grateful to live and work in New York City because we've seen some of the strongest, most innovative politicians. And I think Bill de Blasio stands up to that. And um, also, of course, our, our governor, they've really shone as leaders, both in their philosophy, their commitment to equity, and their commitment to standing with all New Yorkers in this, uh, this challenging time. And the last thing is about solutions. We're seeing emerge that our solutions have to be multidimensional, that it's not only one state and it's not one city, it's all cities working together within a state. It's a coordinated response among states. And indeed, the response needs also to be multi-sectoral. Uh, so I think those are the things we've learned, right? Existing inequities are highlighted. Lower income workers form a broad network in our essential uh, staff that keeps us going. Uh, the undeniable importance of governments and that we need a broad governmental-led multi-sectoral response to bring us out of this pandemic. Uh, thank you very much, Ms. Ebanks. Uh, uh, I'm glad the, that you mentioned the, as one of your main points the importance of governments of all different sizes and their need to cooperate. Uh, unfortunately, that's, uh, that opens up uh, the discussion on one of the long-lasting inequity that we find in our city, which is that of uh, female leadership. Uh, global figures throw a strongly unbalanced situation. Uh, we have a uh, fewer than 5% of uh, uh, world's mayor uh, that are women, and women take up an average of just 20% of uh, local councillors worldwide. Of course, these are uh, mm -hmm. global figures. The situation changes uh, a lot from place to place. Um, according to you, what should be done to increase the representation of locally elected women and promote the participation of women in local decision-making? Um. You know, that is indeed, Lorenzo, a sad comment, right? But, but this is also a deep inequity, the inequity uh, of gender diverse leadership within our governments. And that not only about women, but transgender individuals, LGBTQ, gender non-binary individuals, in order to have the full reflection of our communities uh, in our governments. So what do we do? New York City, in fact, has now, our city council will go into re-election in November 2021. And we now have 12 out of 51 uh, members who are women. That's just 23.5%. Seven of those 12 are term limited. And so we are looking at, uh, you know, only five remaining for another term. And then... Um, we need to capture seven at least seats to be at 23% and then hopefully exceed that. So what do we need to do? I think there's both individual and systemic responses. Um, I can't say it enough. I think each woman has to determine 
within her lifespan where she sees political leadership as an opportunity to serve and to advance uh, the well-being of all, right? And I think women have a very a special place to play in that, in that, in in advancing the well-being of society. And so I think each of us need to see this as a part of our tapestry of career options and to look seriously at it. Leadership exists not only in elected office, though, we should remember, it's also the potential to be appointed, as I am, uh, to, to, uh, various, to run city agencies or various uh, government agencies. I also think you have to think about things like uh, the judicial system. We have district attorneys. In New York City, we have bar presidents. There's so many positions of leadership, and it's, it's not always only the most visible elected ones. And so we need to become mindful of the myriad opportunities within our various cities to lead. Uh, we have community boards, which is our appointed positions. That's the l- most local level of leadership. And you help influence the development of your community uh, within each borough. And that's a tremendous learning opportunity as well. So I, you know, I really encourage all of us to look at the multiple opportunities within our cities and to discover them. Then the other thing is to look for training programs. Running for office is a very complex manner in the United States. It's extremely complex in New York City. And so you really need to be educated. And we have several nonprofits that run extremely uh, brilliant programs that help women understand the fundraising responsibilities, the media responsibilities, um, and, and the, the responsibilities after election, you know, pre-election, when you get elected, and after election. And I think it, it behooves us that we educate ourselves on that. And then, and then do the job, go run for office. I also encourage us not to think of this as lifetime appointments, to see it again as one, you know, as a career that can span um, multi-sectors and many types of jobs, that we can influence public life regardless of the sector we're in, and, um, but that elected office is one important part. I hope that in the process, we see ourselves as building other leaders and connecting people to other resources and positions of influence. Um, and I think that that's what I, I would say, you know, it's this ongoing journey and, um, and we should all try to situate ourselves in that because we need to really have the strongest society possible. And, and that's not obtainable without every person participating. I think that uh, many uh, people can relate to what you are saying, regardless of where they are living, in fact. And uh, I know that the city of New York is particularly active uh, in international relations, has its own city diplomacy that also uh, is enhanced by the fact that uh, the city hosts the headquarters of the United Nations, of course. Yes. And uh, uh, with regard to that, I would like to mention the fact that uh, in 2015, uh, New York City became the first city in the country to join the United Nations Women's Safe Cities Global Initiative. Right. Um, and with regard to that, I would like to ask you, um, how is this partnership with other mayor's offices, other municipalities, helping, helping you doing a better job in your city? And how are you supporting uh, the job of your partners uh, worldwide? Mm-hmm. Great. Now, thank you so much for that. It is probably one of the most exciting lenses um, 
that I have uh, gained access to because of this position, and, and that is to a deeper interaction with the international community. Uh, we have a fantastic Mayor's Office of International Affairs headed by Penny Abawad and our commissioner. And uh, do, she does, and her team does tremendous job connecting commissioners, heads of agencies to other uh, cities. For the Safe Cities uh, Partnership, we have, I have had the opportunity to speak in Edmonton at a conference we had, I, oh my goodness, I think that was 2018, sharing how we approach the issue of safety and gender-based violence. Um, within the commission, we have three areas of focus. One is economic mobility and opportunity, two, health and reproductive justice, and three, safety. And so we look at how can we as a city design programs and provide services that eliminate, reduce, and prevent gender-based violence, right? And that work happens um, we're a massive city, as you know, not as massive as some, but we're massive in, in the United States. Um, that requires multiple agencies. So for us, there are two agencies that I often see as lead on this from the service provision part. It's the Mayor's Office to End gender, Domestic and Gender-Based Violence. That's the Mayor's Office to End Domestic and Gender-Based Violence and the City's Commission on Human Rights. And so we work very closely in partnership with those two agencies, both to promulgate the services provided via a network of nonprofits, which is another incredible set of partners, and then also to look at the laws that we develop in order to um, hold people accountable. Then, of course, I want to admit the NYPD is also a partner in that process, right? So... Um, so we have an opportunity to present what we have done to other agencies, to other cities via these conferences. The thing that has excited me most that one of those conferences, I had the opportunity to meet a nonprofit exec in Mozambique. We have been exchanging um, approaches to avoiding, eliminating gender-based violence. Uh, and last but not least, we are increasing our, our engagement in the annual 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. And so we think that it's incredibly important that New York City be seen as one of those cities that embraces the UN's um, two-week effort to shine a spotlight on this uh, really challenging issue. And, and clearly, you know, something that we're very worried about during COVID-19 as well. So. Thank you, Mitzi Banks, for the inspiring sharing about New York City. I was also wondering, uh, we are not sure about the connection between a not sustainable world and production and COVID-19 diffusion, but for sure uh, COVID-19 is impacting a lot on our life maybe inspiring us on investing in a higher quality of life and on more sustainable cities and communities. Uh, what do you think about the world post-COVID-19? Uh, maybe an opportunity for a 
new sustainable consciousness or not? I, I think that's exactly the question we have to look at as a society. What is the world we want to shape post-COVID-19? You know, we, we see the images on um, Instagram and, and all our social media accounts of New Delhi seeing the sky for the first time. Um, you know, dolphins returning to some waters. Waters are cleaner than they've ever been. Um, our smog is down. And, and these are tremendous victories. And, you know, we've all been facetious on social media and talk about, you know, this is what happens when human beings step back. And, um, and I think that is indeed the challenge before us. And we're going to have this incredible tension of um, a recession. And what is it that we need to do to shape this new world? A world that's healthier, a world that um, centers equity. And this is, again, where leadership, governmental leadership is going to be critical, right? So I think the verdict's out, but the challenge is laid before us um, because of this pandemic. And what role will nonprofits play? What role will nonprofits or NGOs play? What role will philanthropic institutions play? How will we as citizens, when we go to the poll to vote, factor what we have learned from the pandemic? into our votes. I think that that is absolutely critical, right? We cannot continue to believe as individuals that we don't have influence on the directions of our countries. We do. And we, it is incumbent upon us to choose to be informed, to get a balanced view, and then therefore to make the best decision. So um, I, I know that's what I reflect on in my capacity as leader, of the, as executive director of the Commission on Gender Equity, and as a leader in city government, how am I going to shape our next you know, year plus and our future based on the information gained? Um, and so, I, I, like I said, the verdict's out, but the challenge has been laid down for us. Thank you very much, Ms. Ebanks. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today, but I really would like to thank you for the interesting contribution that you shared with us. Uh, basically, you were painting a, a portrait of challenges, of course. We are aware that we are living in difficult times uh, that uh, deepen the difficulties uh, affecting uh, women, affecting uh, related in general with uh, gender uh, inequity. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we have seen that from your words, uh, we, we can draw some, some sort of comfort, uh, seeing that there is a cohesion, there is a, 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 the advent of a leadership that wants to engage and, and change things, at the same time, uh, an engagement of civil society. And thank you very much for uh, this call for action that uh, you shared with us, this idea of... of uh, um, raising our uh, our efforts, uh, uh, cooperating with each other in order to be more effective uh, in in fighting this uh, current crisis and building a more sustainable, more equal world and cities uh, for the future. So thank you very much, uh, Miss Ebanks, for being with us today. And thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to working with you in the future. 
Thank you very much for listening to the Urban Flag Podcast. Special thanks to Ms. Gail Black. <laughs>